Welcome to the Bitcoin for Advisors podcast. We're putting out an emergency podcast. And we even have an emergency host. Yes. Who is it? It's you. Oh, yeah. Usually you're the host. Yeah. I was sort of surprised that you jumped in with the welcome to Bitcoin for Advisors, actually. Yeah. And I I actually hesitated because I forgot what show I was on. (laughs) You've been doing that many podcasts that you can't remember what show you're on. (laughs) I was actually going to announce money owners. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, markets are in turmoil. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we wanted to have a little emergency price episode. Um, mostly because I've been getting a lot of questions about the volatility. And we did do an episode, I believe it was episode, was it episode one? Or was it episode two? Mm-hmm. It was early. It was early, maybe number three about volatility. So you're welcome to go back and listen to that one. But I think it's a little different when you're in the middle of the volatility, as opposed to sort of some little price action bouncing around having been through a, a big bull run. So here we are. Yes, we currently are recording at uh, $21,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe it'll go lower. Maybe this is capitulation. Um, I think it's notable for a number of different reasons. One is uh, a rule of thumb I've generally had with Bitcoin cycles, and this is the third one I'm going through, maybe fourth, depending on which ones you count as cycles, but um, is that the low of the bear market is never below the top of the previous bull market. Mm-hmm. So in our case, the previous bull market is December 2017. Yep. And the top, lots of people debate about it because things get sloppy at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's somewhere between 16,000 and 20,000. Okay. So right around there. Yeah. So we're about to touch that. Um, and uh, that, you know, I think is is notable in terms of um, perhaps marking a capitulation and a source of support, um, you know, but I'm no TA expert, obviously. Yeah, The future I mean, can do anything. But. It's possible it goes below, right? And then does that mean Bitcoin goes to zero? Or does that mean that, you know, people should just be ready for another level of support? Right. I, I, think, I think the latter. <laughs> um, I, yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> zero is a good support line. Yeah, there you go. You can't go. See, this is what I love about Bitcoin. It can't be negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, oil, for example, went negative because you got to store it somewhere. Yep. Uh, Bitcoin, you know, you can store it on 12 words and that costs zero dollars. So you can't go negative. <laughs> it depends how expensive your paper is for sure. Yeah. If you get really nice linen resume paper, maybe mm-hmm. yeah. you can have negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, storage costs. Yes. Um, so I think, yeah, zero is the lowest. Well, go. I think, though, the other thing to keep in mind, right, there are coins out there that have not gone to zero that arguably should go to zero, right? And they've been around for many, many years now. Um, I mean, I I think, like, is, does pure coin still exist? Does it still have a market cap? Because that was around in 2013 as, like, you know, the game stopper new altcoin that was going to change everything and Bitcoin was nothing. Um, I don't think I, I'm. I'm assuming most of our listeners don't even know what that is. Um, and there were others in 2017 that I can't think of um, that are probably still around today. Dentacoin, right? Dentacoin, 
Dentacoin, we actually recently looked into because Dentacoin, I actually read this white paper, I think back in 2013 or 2014. And Dentacoin's whole thing was that everyone got paid the dentist, the person who went to the dentist, the hygienist, the insurance company, you all walked away with money by using Dentacoin. And it has not actually gone to zero, despite that being literally what the white paper said. That that means it must have good tokenomics, right? That's what that's what that's called. <laughs> good tokenomics, creating a circular economy in the dental um, office. Uh, now, you know, Dogecoin is still trading at levels versus Bitcoin that are you know highly elevated from a historical point of view. Um, so, I it, you know I I would make the argument that. The excesses of the prior bull market have not been flushed out mm-hmm. fully. Um, at the same time, you we're talking about um, from you know sixty almost seventy thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars that uh, was the top of the cycle, so a significant percentage drop. And um, even though I view this kind of process is very healthy. Um, I think that it it does cause a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety in folks who uh, kind of bought into the store of value narrative at a higher exchange rate than it currently is. Yeah. Um, and uh, that you know they might be underwater. Uh, maybe they went all in at the top and now they're really kicking themselves because while they are still fundamentally bullish on Bitcoin. They see that instead of buying one Bitcoin, they could have bought three and a half Bitcoin, you know, a matter of months later. So mm-hmm. there's some, you know, sometimes there's buyer's remorse of buying uh, during the bull market when all of your psychology and the social environment is telling you to FOMO in mm-hmm. and to buy the top. I think that that's kind of the natural process. And then I, when we're, you know, crashing down there's lots of risk aversion and people shift to oh it's gonna keep going down so now it's like the reverse fomo of i'm gonna wait yeah i hate to use a um, warren buffett quote because he is so anti-bitcoin but i mean his famous line right is that be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy uh, and I think that this really lines up actually quite well with the Bitcoin ethos. Um, it's really easy to get very excited when the champagne is popping and the price is going straight up. And I'm not immune to that either. I don't think that um, I don't think really anyone is. It's really exciting. And it's really hard, I think, on the way down, especially if this is your first cycle, especially if you bought your first Bitcoin at 60 plus K per coin. It's really, really difficult on the way down to be greedy while others are fearful. Yeah, and I, I think that there's um if you're not euphoric during the bull market you're either a psycho or you're being dishonest <laughs> um yeah and maybe dishonest is too strong of a term because you might just be poker faced right mm-hmm. that you recognize the euphoria in you but you don't let it control you and you know you you kind of are able to let it go and and move on so that you're not uh, panic buying the top. Yeah, for sure. Um, so 
There were a couple of things that I wanted to address with tonight's call. I'm sorry, tonight's podcast that we I thought would be. We could say it's a we call. We could say it's a call. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we're sitting right across from each other yeah. and not on the phone with anybody. Um, mind us, it's late and we've just put our kids to bed. But um, the first thing I actually wanted to address is the idea of long-term savings. You brought up um, store of value and that people bought things, let's say, at 60 plus K and they're not really feeling like it's a store of value anymore. So I want to talk about that specifically because they're right. In the short term, it's not a store of value, right? But it's a long-term savings vehicle, not a short-term savings vehicle. This is not a CD. So, and you're the king of long-term savings. So who better than you to talk about what that means for folks out there, especially those who bought at a price that doesn't feel so great right now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the it's important to distinguish between two phenomena. One is risk and the other is uncertainty. And so risk is really what we're talking about today, which and the particular risk we're hitting on is the exchange rate risk of Bitcoin, the the risk of its purchasing power going down. Um, usually we don't consider it going up to be a risk. <laughs> That's the, the opportunity, right? Um, and the, the reason that we distinguish between risk and uncertainty is because Ultimately, risk is something that you can hedge against and that you can insure against because it's something that's quantifiable. And so you can pay somebody else to take on that risk. And so uh, there is a very liquid futures market for Bitcoin on CME. So if you want, if you want to, you can actually hold Bitcoin. You could hold Bitcoin on your own keys using your own node and then go sell a futures contract so that you are benefiting from Bitcoin's properties without taking on or while selling the exchange rate risk to a third party. Um, And the, you know, I think that my advice though generally is to uh, not do that for two reasons. One, it can be expensive. um, And I think that it makes more sense to pay yourself uh, to self-insure, essentially, um, mm. by holding more Bitcoin is the uh, way to self-insure against that. Um, and two, uh, because I think that Bitcoin is a growth currency. And so I think that Bitcoin has fundamental adoption drivers, which means that the number of holders and users and transactors and savers on the Bitcoin network is going to continue to increase. And that's going to cause Bitcoin's uh, value over the long term to increase as well. Um, now, with regards to long-term saving, uh, the reason that people save money is in order to um, address an unease they have about future uncertainty. And so, um, you know, we, we we hold money when we have uncertain future cash flows, which is all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I, I'm, I'm open to, to examples on uh, uncertain future cash flows. <laughs> um, I mean, quick ones that come to mind, right, is that you good ones are you want to start a business, but you're not sure when you're going to get paid from starting that business. Bad one would be um, you could lose your job, right? And then you lose your stream of cash flow. Um, or your spouse loses their job and you lose part of your cash flow. 
Um, you may or may not get a windfall in the future. Everyone, a lot of people do bet on whether or not their parents will leave them an inheritance. Um, I've heard that one be a source of future uncertainty. Do I need to save more because I, you know, I'm not going to get an inheritance in the future? Do I need to save more because my parents don't have any money and they're going to run out of money in the future? Um, are there other people in my family that I want to help who potentially could get sick? Maybe I can get sick, right? There's a whole list of uncertain events that could happen in the future um, that would potentially affect your future cash flows. And some of those we might categorize as risks. So for example, disability, because you can get disability insurance. And Mm -hmm. so that might be a risk. Um, But uh, others are just things that are completely unquantifiable and uninsurable. Um, Like, as you mentioned, uh, the cash flows from a new business, that's not something that you could ever get insurance for, Mm -hmm. um, for, for, because it's fundamentally not an actuarial risk uh, that can be modeled. Um, And so the reason we hold cash is in order to uh, remove or reduce the unease we feel with regards to future uncertainty, because it gives us essentially um, the means to withstand that future uncertainty uh, and to fulfill unexpected future cash flows, um, or uh, to at least, um, you know, even if the future cash flow is not realized, right? So even if you do keep your job, Mm-hmm. It still makes sense uh, to have money set aside, um, and you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you'll you'll you know be like, oh, I should have invested that or whatever. Yep. Um, but that's only with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, for sure, because you don't know what situation you would be, and if, maybe if you did invest it, you would be in a situation where you potentially didn't have incoming cash, and then you would need to sell potentially at a bad time in the market. You'd have less cash. Um, but I mean, you also you have you. In the fiat society that we live in, which is why we've been talking about Bitcoin as a long-term savings vehicle, right? It's like if you keep too much cash around, right, you lose money, but you don't see yourself lose that money. So th- there's there's a balance for sure to be had that you want to have some form of cash around, but you also want to make sure you don't have too much cash around. Um, and I think that this kind of dovetails nicely into what we think about Bitcoin from a long-term perspective, because in in the world where you where you have Bitcoin... Um, and you're not dealing with fiat assets, it actually is better for you to keep cash around and to be in a situation where you could have cash for future uncertainties or have cash to deploy for an investment should you want to do that and you don't need to rush into it. Um, and other reasons why you would want to keep cash around, right? It makes sense for people to have cash at any given period of time. And it's actually kind of unprecedented that the government is forcing people to not have cash. Yeah, they're they're, they're constantly pressuring people to... Um, essentially walk away from the uncertainty minimization of cash and to embrace increasing levels of risk. Um, Now, to the point that people use um, index funds as uh, short-term savings or medium-term savings um, or even long-term savings, uh, when really it's, in my mind, the only reason you should own equity in a company is because you have a directional view on the business prospects of that company. You've, you know, read the financial statements, Mm -hmm. uh, you're excited about the management, or you're trying to get a controlling interest in the entity to change the management. Um, But the the dentist down the street should have no business or should should not be interested in or have a view on uh, what's going on in the stock market. Um, And 
now to 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 bring it back to to Bitcoin, I think that you know people say, well, okay, long term savings, but look, uh, you know, Bitcoin's crashing uh, now uh, to twenty one thousand dollars. So um, you know, if you had bought Bitcoin at the top in two thousand seventeen. Uh, then you'd be here today kind of in, in the same range, mm-hmm. um, which I would argue, hey, that's a good store value. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that the other part of it, though, is that during that period of time when you were holding Bitcoin, um, you actually did expose yourself to much fewer of the operational risks and uncertainties associated with owning any other asset. And so in my mind, um, there are benefits from holding Bitcoin that are somewhat unrelated to the uh, just the exchange rate going up. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked about these before, but one, the freedom to earn that you can receive Bitcoin from anywhere in the world, 24, seven, 365 um, over the internet. Uh, the second is the freedom to hold uh, using your own keys. You can self custody, you don't have to rely on a trusted third party. Um, and, I, you know, I contrast this, for example, to um, if you're holding, you know, shares of a company, even if you have no worries about the custodianship of the actual securities, mm-hmm. um, you are still, while you're holding those shares, what that represents is an economic interest in the residual value of the uh, business. Yeah. And... That is going to rely a lot on, might be hundreds of people, might be thousands of people uh, going into work every day, and then all of the consumer patterns that feed into that company having a going concern in future revenues. Um, and so, you know, history of uh, corporations is filled. It's a graveyard, right? There's there's lots of companies that go to zero um, or, uh, you know, uh, are just don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. um, whether it's because they were nationalized or, right? I mean, there's uh, all sorts of uh, risks and uncertainties associated with investments that are minimized in the context of the Bitcoin system. Um, and I think sometimes that's like a criticism of Bitcoin. People say, ah, the problem with Bitcoin is that it doesn't have cash flows mm-hmm. or that it's uh, too simple, right? It's old. It doesn't have all this advanced functionality. And the reason why that is, is simply because Bitcoin as a system is minimizing uncertainty. So the moment you have cash flows, you're adding uncertainty into the system because now those cash flows are financed by something, right? It's not like... Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it, if it was the case that it was coming out of thin air of just like more Bitcoin being airdropped on Bitcoin holders, yeah, that wouldn't mean anything. That would just mean everyone's getting diluted equally at the same time. Um, you know, so it's uh, kind of um, it would be a silly uh, game to be playing. And on top of that, the IRS would tax you on <laughs> all the airdrops. Yeah, yeah, all the airdrops. Right here. Um, and so, yeah, I think that. Even with Bitcoin's price going sideways, um, it still is less stressful uh, than holding any other asset. I mean, even uh, let's say a motorboat, <laughs> just as an example. <laughs> uh, you know, you're going to have to pay for ongoing maintenance for that motorboat, whether you use it or not, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to have depreciation. 
Bitcoin doesn't have depreciation or ongoing maintenance costs. Uh, you can hold Bitcoin for 10 years on a uh, one hardware wallet that you bought for $100. And, you know, there's no ongoing costs at all. Uh, and one of the central um, security guarantees of, or uh, let's not call it a guarantee, assurance or uh, properties of Bitcoin is that you don't even have to be running a Bitcoin node for 10 years. You can turn off your Bitcoin node, you come back 10 years later, and uh, your coins will still be there. Yeah. And so um, there's, uh, you know, even if Bitcoin has no cash inflows, uh, it, it doesn't have any cash outflows. The, you know, cost of carry is zero as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I maybe I'm, I'm rambling on at this point. No, that's fine. I uh, I appreciate your comments on that. And I guess I also wanted to address um, from basically the difference between an income statement and a balance sheet, because I feel like this really comes into play when Bitcoin's price is very volatile. It's very easy for people to get excited about balance sheet gains. Um, and this is something that we were talking about earlier. When the price of Bitcoin goes up, right, you have a wealth effect where you feel wealthier um, because you bought it at a specific price and now it's higher. And um, a lot of people over the last couple of years have been feeling that way if you've been buying Bitcoin since basically December of 2020. Um, or if you obviously if you bought the top in 2017, right, maybe you felt the the downtroddenness of your purchase in 2017, right? And then it started to recover at the end of 2020. And then you've probably felt pretty wealthy over the last couple of years until about now, if you're underwater again, right? Or if you bought at the top in 2021, right? And you're kind of you're definitely feeling it now. Um, so there's a difference, right, between balance sheet uncertainty and income sheet uncertainty. So Income sheet uncertainty is something that we've been talking about with, in regards to your cash flows, right? And and where Bitcoin can minimize that risk of like uncertainty versus... Can uh, I be the autistic accountant? Yeah, sure. Income statement's different than the statement of cash flows. Yeah, you're right. I'm so sorry. You're right. Yeah. That's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think that most people are cash-based accounting. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, it's the same. Yeah, you're right. But I'm sorry. for us accrual accountants. Yeah, yeah. For all the accruals people yeah. out there. Yeah. Shout out to our, my accrual friends. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Let's only talk about income statement, not statement of cash flows. You're 100% Well, correct. I was, I would say let's only talk about statement of cash flows because an income statement, you know, if you're marking everything to market, mm -hmm. then you would be feeling pain from balance sheet unrealized losses. Um, whereas the cash flow statement person... Uh, they wouldn't see that at all. Yeah, that's fair. This is why um, accountants and financial planners don't like having arguments about balance sheets and cash statement of cash flows with each other. We're not having an argument. <laughs> we're we're educating our audience yeah. about the different personal financial statements that folks have. Yeah, for sure. But what I would say, right, is that if you have some income and uh, um, if you have income certainty, right, and you are you have income coming in and you have expenses going out and then you have some sort of net bottom line where you're accumulating then you you don't really need to worry as much about your balance sheet wealth and or um i guess the opposite of wealth would be poor um yeah <laughs> well i mean hopefully it's not insolvency yeah or, insol right because um, well right hopefully you're in a situation where you are accumulating right because you have a savings rate that's positive and you're not using leverage right on your balance sheet to buy more bitcoin i think that like a lot of people are going to get into trouble when they start you know getting greedy and they decide to lever up and buy more bitcoin um and then like a lot of what's going on right now is like forced liquidations, essentially. So if you're not in that situation, and you're in a situation where you have net cash, and you're able to save and you're accumulating Bitcoin, then having 
being in a situation where your balance sheet, quote unquote, poor is going to feel less bad because you're going to be able to accumulate through the cycle. On the like the converse side of that, right, is that if you are actually living off of your balance sheet, I think that this is when things could get a little bit hairy. So um, one of the things that um, I put out actually an article about this a while back, I think it was in 2021, um, about how to handle um, taking withdrawals from concentrated positions. And basically, the idea is that you need to focus more on how much you can withdraw during hard times rather than how much you can withdraw during good times, um, if you're going to stay concentrated. And I think that that holds true for an asset like Bitcoin, I mean, especially for an asset like Bitcoin, because the drawdowns are so rough relative, like, I mean, you don't buy, let's say the S&P 500 and experience an 85% drawdown. It's just highly unlikely. Why is that? Why is it because of the Fed put? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Um, I think it's also because you have a you're holding so many different companies, right? It's just I don't buy it. You I, don't think buy it's, it? I think it's government intervention. I think mm, it's possible, I guess. They see the market tanking. Yeah. The president calls the Fed and says, hey, you need to. Do you know what the um, in 1929, the drawdown? I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know. either. I wonder. I bet it was 90 percent. I bet it was something pretty outrageous by today's standards. OK, well, I'm sure everyone on Twitter will correct us. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they'll be like, no, it was fifteen <laughs> <laughs> percent. Okay. What? Uh, definitely was not fifteen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I think that's something to think about, though. If you're going to hold a concentrated position in general, right? That, or if you like, the more that you're able to take risk, kind of is generally the wealthier you are from a balance sheet perspective. Um, and if you're in a situation where you're you're just living off of your balance sheet, then generally you can take more risk in that situation when you have enough to provide for yourself during drawdowns. But if you don't, then you actually need to be more conservative with how you structure your balance sheet. Right. So I think the you know, what comes to mind is the Trinity study with the safe withdrawal rate. And it sounds like what you're arguing is that the, the Trinity study kind of gave folks an average across cycles. Mm -hmm. um, but really, if you're thinking about this carefully, um, you should not use the average, you should use, uh, you know, the the 90th standard deviation, or the 90th percentile of, um, you know, uh, drawdowns. Mm -hmm. uh, well, least. I think also, like, maybe you don't need to be so conservative. But what you do need to be conservative about would be any fixed expenses that you know that you can't cut, right? So basically, if you decided to retire when Bitcoin was 68,000 a coin, because you had enough coins, and you know, life was good, and you literally retired at the top, and then you went and bought an extremely expensive compound that you now have to maintain, you're in a much different situation than somebody who lives a little bit more modestly and can cut out all the fluff in years like this when it's hard. Um, and you know, stop going out to eat and stop buying random cans of seltzer and stop buying their toys 100, like 100,000 toys for their kids, right? Things like that, that you can cut back on. But it's a lot more difficult, right, to go sell your home um, or to go sell well, a car that's, you know, very expensive or go sell the boat that you bought because you did all of that at the top. Yeah. And and I think that part of what drives it being difficult to get out of those large fixed expenses is that you're trying to do so when everyone else is also mm -hmm. trying to do yeah. that, uh, you know, a, a, and so now home prices are going down. Um, you would you might be underwater on your beautiful luxury home mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you you bought at the top, um, and uh, obviously you know the boat that that loses X percentage when you per drive day. it off the lot. Yeah, <laughs> when you I don't know what they say in boating when you uh, yeah when you cruise away cruise. from the marina. <laughs> You, I don't know. You barefoot ski off the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
um, so yeah, I, I think that's a really great point. Um, and it, it, when your balance sheet is increasing, there's this real wealth effect, this intoxicating, um, oh, now I can go out and spend more and you have lifestyle inflation, uh, and, and that's, um, hugely problematic when it reverses. Yeah, well, I think the other thing to note that I don't think Bitcoiners like to hear, because this often seems like a more of a fiat trope is that, oh, it's a hard life for those fiat folks, because they have to slave away and um, save 20% plus more on in their income. And, you know, and then they just get by because they get 6% returns in the stock market and the bond market or whatever. And then, you know, they live a pauper's life, basically, and then they die. Um, I think that I think it's always a hard life. I think it was supposed to be that way. I think you are supposed to live well below your means. And I think you are supposed to accumulate for a rainy day. I mean, some of the reasons why these cycles feel so rough when everything seems to go down together, including Bitcoin, which is supposed to be uncorrelated, is because they're not uncorrelated when people don't keep cash around for a rainy day. So when people need cash and they all need it at the same time, all assets are going to go down together. Right. And... uh it goes back to the inflation and, uh, you know, kind of this deliberate government policy of punishing people for holding cash, mm-hmm. um, driving these manic cycles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, we've covered a lot of ground uh, this evening. Was there other parts of this i mean i think that you made a really good point about if you are turning a profit that you can be accumulating you know dcaing mm-hmm. uh during the bear market which i think is um a great position to be in versus you know having retired or whatever at the top and uh being in trouble yeah for sure. I think the other thing I'd like to add on this podcast, I guess there's some words of inspiration. I mean, we are we are longtime Bitcoiners, right? So I think the every cycle that you go through kind of hardens you, I guess, for lack of a better word. The first cycle, I think, for everyone is always the hardest. Um, if you're willing to share your story about the first cycle, I think that our listeners would appreciate that. Um. Well, so yeah, I think that my first cycle really was the what I call the Cypress cycle. Okay. In April of 2013, and that's when it went. Um, oh, I'm gonna. Uh, I don't even know now. I think it was a hundred forty dollars. No, I think it was a little higher. Higher than that, maybe. I maybe think it was it like almost 300. hit two hundred. I think somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. And and, star- it started at like five dollars too. Yeah, I've yeah. I've heard that it was actually due to the Winklevi buying at that time, uh, but it was also after the 2012 halving, mm-hmm. um, and uh, people were speculating that the entire island of Cyprus was hyper Bitcoinizing, that they were going on the Bitcoin standard um, because there was a bank bail-in that happened and. And everyone took a huge haircut on their cash balances at the bank, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and it was euros. Mm -hmm. So, and um, so, yeah, people were saying that this was, you know, the end of the euro in Cyprus. Uh, But uh, it turns out, no, uh, (laughs) 
People still use the euro. Unfortunately, people still use the euro. Yeah, so then Bitcoin crashed. (laughs) Um, But I do do remember uh, being euphoric during that. And uh, because I had just discovered Bitcoin and it was like um, kind of immediate validation that, oh, only like two months ago, I just had, you know, this um, uh, epiphany that Bitcoin is going to go up in value. And uh, it's doing just that. And so obviously I'm a, a total genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it crashed, it corrected. Uh, but then it went on a, another tear uh, later that year to $1,200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I remember we were waking up every morning and I was like, it's up another $100. Yeah, I remember. You were yeah. like totally euphoric. And also you were like, this is it. This is hyper Bitcoinization. <laughs> yeah, I I was convinced that um, it was the end of the fiat financial system mm-hmm. and that it was just going to continue to go up at this relentless pace. Um, and, you know, there were lots of stories about, oh, uh, you know, the reason it would be when we woke up in the morning is because it was the Chinese buying. Right. Yeah. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, yeah, they're they're buying Bitcoin to get around their uh, capital controls. And um, obviously, there is kind of an unlimited demand for that use case. And so uh, it's inevitable that Bitcoin is just going to continue to increase in value. Um, and then it crashed. <laughs> <laughs> it had... Uh, it had the double top. Yeah. And I remember um, at one of the tops, you were like, oh, you should sell your Bitcoin. Like, Yeah, I did say that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, you know, uh, this is a good moment to sell. And I, I think I looked at you incredulously. And you was, were so mad. I actually thought we weren't going to make it. <laughs> and she and I. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, okay. Maybe never bring up the word sell again around him. <laughs> <laughs> because I really, and I still feel this way to this day, is that um, Bitcoin's, yeah, Bitcoin's um, a, a, an asset on our balance sheet. But in my mind, it's really about the ideology. Mm-hmm. And that uh, if you sell, uh, you're basically surrendering to the fiat enemy. And, uh, you know, the French have a really checkered past with regards to surrendering to the enemy <laughs> and it, it would uh you know not be good uh you know obviously the fiat people are nazis mm-hmm. and uh i i'm gonna hold better than the maginot line did i hope so yeah <laughs> they're gonna go around they're gonna go around uh, yeah. i don't know <laughs> but by causing the price to crash to, yeah. to zero but, um yeah yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I think, I guess I wanted to bring this up because, so with the exception of very few people who can stomach a really serious bear market without really flinching, I think for most people experiencing a price drop, especially your first one, where it goes down somewhere between 50 to 90% is one of the most excruciating things that you can go through. But, and I, I really want to emphasize this, if you are able to hold through your first bear market, you will be a longtime Bitcoiner. I think that that's I've seen that time and time again. People who are able to to hold through it are so much more um, enthusiastic, excited, um, committed to Bitcoin being the future 
um, and they're able to hold through future cycles as a result of that. Um, so I just encourage anybody out there who um, who really did buy the top or bought somewhere close to the top to consider how it will feel in you know, four, five, 10, 15 years from now when you did make it through this, if you are willing to hold through. Um, and they don't really, I mean, I know HODL didn't come from hold on for dear life, but they certainly use that now. And it's, it's no joke. I mean, hold, it's, it really, it truly is holding on for dear life in times like this. Um, and it's not for the weak of heart. Yeah. I mean, everything in your body is screaming, uh, you know, it's that fight or flight. And, uh, you know, in this case, it's your body's screaming flight, uh, to, uh, exit, uh, run for the exits. Um, but yeah, not not only hold through the bear market, but I would really encourage folks to um, accumulate through the mm-hmm. bear market. Yeah. Uh, I think that the best way to set yourself up to not panic sell is to uh, continue to accumulate. So yep. you know, if you're accumulating, you're not going to sell. Um, and uh, the other part of it, too, is that uh, there's a lot of books about Bitcoin at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Learning more about this uh, asset that, uh, you know, is on your balance sheet and might be causing you some anxiety, uh, that might help alleviate some concerns you have and uh, strengthen your grip strength on your bags. Yeah, I would say two other things, too. If you can accumulate maybe without looking is kind of another thing. I mean, there are services out there. Um, Swan comes to mind where you could just do it, you know, buy a weekly buy or whatever. Um, you just automate it if you've got that kind of cash flow around to do something like that, even if it's something small where you're just doing $5 a week, right? Um, that way you are accumulating and, and adding during these values. Um, that I think that that helps quite a bit. Stop checking the price helps quite a bit. Um, having your coins in cold storage where you're not seeing it move around on the exchange every time you log in is a great way. Um, if you do have it through a, like a third party service like Unchain where you're doing multi-sig, stop logging in um, is, is my recommendation in times like these and see how you can accumulate in a way that doesn't really, I, I mean, you're basically, it's, it's psychological at this point, right? If you are committed to Bitcoin and you want to hold this and you see the value in it, and the alternative is what Pierre is talking about, which is that you're giving into the fiat system, right? Even if Bitcoin does win, you capitulating does mean that you are now accepting that the fiat system is your fate rather than what the Bitcoin system could be. So with all of that in mind, right, I would just set yourself up for success by making sure that you remove a lot of the psychological factors that can really make somebody go insane during these types of price dips. Yeah, uh, make it really inconvenient for you to move your Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and paper uh, wallets. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I know, it's just not kidding. No paper wallets. Bad ideas to yeah. people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very inconvenient. Though. Yeah. <laughs> A ten of ten multi sig. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, and you you give the hardware wallets to other Bitcoiners, and so if you sell. You have to shamefully go ask them for the hardware <laughs> wallet, and uh, you know they they can try to provide some um, some counseling to yeah. you. Uh, I wanted to add two more things. There's some tax planning and estate planning opportunities here. So tax planning, they haven't closed that the um, wash sale loophole. So if you did buy at the top and you want to do a wash sale, what it literally means is you sell your Bitcoin and you immediately buy it back. It's amazing that that is actually legal and that you can take a, a loss on that. You're allowed to deduct $3,000 per year on your tax return. So um, and you can carry anything forward. It's not a lot, but it's still worth it, right? I mean, then you can use it later to offset your Bitcoin gains. So I think it is worth it to do it um, before 
before you do move coins off off exchange. The other thing to consider is that if you have actually accumulated a lot of Bitcoin, um, now's a good time to maybe do some gifting, right? You can gift to your to your children if you're at an age where it makes sense to do that. You can actually gift up. You gift to your parents and then they give it back to you later and you can get a step up in basis. So there's some estate planning things that you might be able to do. Um, and you can basically almost give a whole coin without... Um, coming up on any tax. Yeah, what's the uh the um the gift limit right now is 16,000. So hmm. um you can give like 0.75 bitcoin. They probably don't index that for inflation. Um they do, but hmm. not really. I mean, they up they up it like every 5 or 6 years something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure Bitcoin Twitter will hmm. will correct me, but yeah. Very very good uh planning tips. Uh, obviously uh Everyone's situation is different, so work with a financial planner, tax advisor. You're going to sing all the disclosures? Disclosure. Your <laughs> mileage may vary. <laughs> do your own research. Yeah. Have fun staying poor. Sorry for your loss. Um, <laughs> or congratulations. Or congratulations. <laughs> your airline miles are non-transferable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, um, I mean, I think that uh, the, the loss deduction. So let's say somebody, uh, is in some altcoins. Mm-hmm. They got some altcoin bags and bear they, markets. They've listened to this podcast and they're now a Bitcoiner. Sorry. You were going to well, say, well, yes, market. yes. I was going <laughs> to say bear markets teach people the hard way, but they might be learning the easy way by mm-hmm. listening to our podcast. Um, and now they're underwater on their altcoins, but they'd like to convert it into Bitcoin. Um, are there anything, is there anything there to consider other than the fact that you've got this loss? Yeah. I mean, I would take the, I love tax loss harvesting. It's like the best thing in the world, honestly. So um, it's like the only free money that I think the government gives you, especially in this situation where you can literally exchange the same coin for itself within seconds. Um, I mean, in, in the fiat world, right, where you, what you have to do is actually be out of a position for 30 days in order to buy back in and be able to take a loss. Um, in the Bitcoin world right now, and also with altcoins, you can literally sell a loss and get back in. I don't suggest selling your altcoins and getting back into your altcoins to take the loss. However, it is a good idea to sell your altcoins and buy Bitcoin, right? And then you can, it's the same thing. You can, if you have good records, you can use your loss carry forward. You deduct $3,000 per year, or you can deduct it against Bitcoin gains in the future. But the way it works is that you basically deduct $3,000 every year. So let's say to make the math easy, you took like a $100,000 loss. So you deduct, right? You get 97000 I didn't make the math easy. I actually made it harder on myself. <laughs> you yeah, deduct, you get to ninety four. Yeah, you got a $30,000 loss, for right? 10 for 10 years. Um, you would basically wipe out that loss. But if, let's say, I don't know, for whatever reason, Bitcoin went to a million dollars in five years, right? And you had carried, you would still have a $15,000 carry forward. So you'd be able to use that fifteen k to offset any gains that you had in your Bitcoin if you were to sell at that point in time. Um, so that's just something to consider. You're forced to deduct that loss every single year. You don't get to just like save it all up and then use it. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let's see if there were any other, uh, things we wanted to hit on. I think we, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, we're. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're only on 40 minutes. So. Oh, really? You want to keep going? I don't know. I mean, if we don't have anything else to say, then uh, actually, you did want to talk about the um, the Lummis bill. Yeah, but I said that I wanted to read it first, and I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess we don't really have any good comments on that. Other I've been than... staring at the price chart instead. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Maybe you should uh, take my advice and stop checking the price. Right, but that advice <laughs> is for people who are going to sell, who yeah. are who are you know the vulnerable population. Oh, okay. It, it also I think applies to being completely distracted by the Bitcoin price and not maybe reading the bill that you were going to read, so that we would have somebody to talk about in the last fifteen minutes of this podcast. That's fair. I mean, I think though that we could talk about the price some more, and yeah. really, um, like w- maybe we should have started with this, which is. <laughs> Why is it going down so oh, much? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, why is it going down so much, Price Guru? Well, there are a lot of people who took on too much leverage, mm-hmm. which is something we ta- ta- touched on earlier. Um, and uh, they're in a situation of forced selling, essentially. Yep. Um, now, there are um, platforms um, such as Celsius, uh, where basically... On one side, you have people who are borrowing dollars against their Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. If the price goes down, they are in a situation where they get liquidated uh, and that pushes the Bitcoin price down more. And so then you have cascading liquidations. Yep. Um, And then you also have uh, people who were lending stable coins, i.e. fiat dollars. Mm -hmm to this platform to earn a yield. And then that platform would turn around and lend those dollars to people buying, or sorry, to, to people borrowing against their Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And so you can, as that kind of business, you can get caught upside down if the market is going down so quickly and that you're not able to liquidate people fast enough. Yeah. And in which case on the dollar side, the folks who were expecting a stable 6%, you know, conservative yield um, now are in a situation where they might be getting a haircut yep. and no yield. And then they start running for the exits. Yep. And so they start withdrawing their dollars. And uh, now you have uh, really, uh, you know, a, a, a bank run. Mm-hmm. And uh, the amazing thing about Bitcoin uh, is that there are no bailouts. Yeah. So there's no FDIC insurance on any of this. And I love that personally. I think that that's great uh, because I don't think that it's wise that for people to be engaging in these activities. I think that um, they are, if, if the government came in with FDIC insurance, mm-hmm. like they do in the traditional fiat system, um, they are subsidizing reckless behavior. Yeah, I totally um, agree. And I think that they're doing that in the fiat system with FDIC insurance. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, I, I think that banks should not be financing themselves with what are called demand deposits, deposits that can be withdrawn at any time for any reason. Banks should be financing them their balance sheet with term deposits, mm-hmm. i.e. CDs. Yep. Um, so that they can match up the maturity of their assets and liabilities so that they're not caught in a duration mismatch and, uh, you know, have a, a bank run that, um, you know, is disruptive to people's lives and to, to, to their 
Financial plans. Yeah, I mean, this is something I come back to in financial planning all the time, which is like we do something called asset liability matching with um, with clients' asset allocations. And basically what that means is like we have short-term investments for um, expenses that we know are going to come due, come due in the near future. And we invest for the long-term and the portion of the portfolio that we know we are not going to need for a long period of time. Um, and we also, like all of my clients, live rather frugally, right? They make money, they spend some of it, and they save some of it. And it just seems like unconscionable to me that we live in a society where that kind of, that person basically gets punished while the government literally prints money and doesn't live by any kind of budget. And then banks just, you know, they just like they don't lend for one for one. They just, you know, they don't match their assets and liabilities up. They're like, mm, maybe they won't demand these deposits today. I'll just lend this money out. It'll be OK. It's living on the edge. It's a little, un- it's a little unfair. It is. It is uh, <laughs> deeply unfair. Um Thankfully, Bitcoin fixes this because um, there is no central bank of Bitcoin that can print Bitcoins out of thin air Mm -hmm. to bail out uh, these um, uh, financial institutions that uh, improperly manage their risk. Um, The downside to that is, one, the people who were clients of those institutions obviously are facing... uh, financial distress. Yep. Um, and two is that because they are in kind of a, a cascading uh, risk situation, um, and actually, let me be clear, uncertainty, because mm-hmm. um, the reason why the government has to uh, provide deposit insurance is because no private insurance company would ever do that. Yeah. Uh, because... It's uninsurable. It's not a risk. A bank run is not a risk. It's an uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It's completely unquantifiable. Um, and there's no way to model it because it's based on the madness of crowds. Yeah. Um, and so that's why the government has to subsidize it, just like they subsidize, you know, flood insurance mm-hmm. in places that no private insurance company would, would touch. Yeah, totally. I kind of want to come back to the yield farmers because... I think in general, this is something that well, maybe we've addressed on other podcasts, but needs some readdressing here. Um, so I'd love your opinion on like the different ways that people get, quote unquote, paid through yield farming in, um, in these crypto situations so that people can be like can really have their eyes open as they're going into these, quote unquote, investments. Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I see kind of two um let's say three different models of these yield farming. One is basically a decentralized version of what I just described Mm -hmm. of um, some people borrowing dollars, other people lending dollars, and then there being underlying collateral of uh, a crypto asset. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are all, not only are they kind of vulnerable in the same way that a proprietary centralized platform is, but they they also they say that oh the advantage of doing this with defi is that there's transparency but i think that what they're not understanding is that the flip side of transparency is essentially um that the whole market knows at what price does this person get liquidated yeah and so it's like if you know you knew on the stock market um what everyone's leverage is and at what point they would get liquidated, then you would start 
um, I forget what they call that hunting mm-hmm. uh, to um, to force people into liquidations and to to make money off of them. Yep. Um, so I don't think that the transparency is an advantage at all here. Uh, I think an advantage would be privacy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that uh, you know you're not being hunted by people, and you know maybe hey s- stop being a degenerate you know uh, gambler and. You know, maybe maybe the transparency is good because it's <laughs> encouraging people <laughs> to not do this. Um, the so there's that model. The other model is the uh, dilution model, where um, you you put in ten tokens um, of X Y Z, and then you get paid one token of X Y Z, and where that one token came from is out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And so they just diluted the supply. And as I mentioned earlier with regards to Bitcoin, it's kind of just an absurd uh, situation where there's no... But people... you made 10%. Right, right. So <laughs> they they see that yield mm-hmm. and they get excited about it. It's a risk-free 10%. It's a risk-free 10%. And <laughs> what they're missing out on is the exchange rate risk. Yep, yeah. Which is then, well, if the exchange rate goes down 15%, you haven't made any money, you've lost 5%. Yeah. Um, and you're lucky if it's only 15%. Yeah. And then the third model is where you put in 10 uh, XYZ tokens, and then you get one ABC token. Right. Yeah. You get airdrop some random thing. Yeah. Which, again, where did ABC token come from? Out of thin air. But you got 10%. <laughs> you got 10%. I think. I'm not sure, actually. And, <laughs> I'm not sure. and then, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, the, the, they'll have lockups on mm-hmm. it. And so then... It basically turns into a Ponzi scheme where the um, early adopters are being unlocked and they are getting uh, money from the new adopters who are getting locked up. So it's like the social security system? It's like social security. Um, it, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say except, but no, there's no, no except. No, no, yeah, yeah, it's basically it's right. <laughs> social security. Yeah. Um, I, I find it funny when... when um, to, to uh, the, the, when you have government officials uh, criticizing Bitcoin, one uh, recently was the New York Attorney General, and she was kind of on her soapbox saying, "Look at all the money these people are losing in cryptocurrency. We warned you guys. Mm-hmm. This is unregulated. It's volatile." Meanwhile, she's selling lottery tickets. Yeah. <laughs> State government selling lottery tickets, and she's got the gall to get up there and you know chastise people. For... And then they scam people out of their actual winnings by offering them a lump sum or an annuity. Uh, unbelievable! And yeah. then taxing it, and then they tax it. Yeah, like all around, it's just a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that I found uh, astonishing. Um, but then, yeah, when when government officials accuse it of being a Ponzi scheme, meanwhile they worship Social Security, which is uh, you know the the worst intergenerational Ponzi scheme ever created. Um, Thank you, President Roosevelt. Yes, Ugh. worst president ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think. So we don't have any listeners now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, anyways, anyways, um, so yeah, that's why the price is going down is because of, uh, kind of these, um, leverage, uh, unregulated, which I, and I think it's good that they're unregulated, but, um, so, you know, it's really about a learning process and, 
Um, I always tell folks you can learn the easy way by listening to our podcast, by uh, reading books about Bitcoin, uh, and by staying humble and stacking sats. Mm -hmm. Or you can learn the hard way by experimenting with uh, borrowing and lending and all of these other, you know, um, tokens, tokens and, and uh, NFTs, NFTs, and and apes, <laughs> mutant apes and serums. The <laughs> you know too much about it. I know. NFTs. I know way too much. Honestly, I, I wish I could unlearn the stuff that I learned. But now it's just like it's like jammed in there with like the Captain Planet theme song. Yeah. And like the theme song to Palmall of Gold. It's just like it's just going to live in there with the rest of the junk in my brain. Yeah. Mm. That's that's why they have value. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I need one of those like Emma the uh, Men in Black devices. Yes, like, or uh, a Forget Me Not. Yeah, from there you go. Job and Arrested <laughs> Development. Like you read about an NFT and you're like just immediately take a Forget Me Not. Yeah, then you wake up and you read about an NFT and yeah. you take a Forget Me Not. You just do it for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, all right. Well. Yeah. On uh, on that note, do we have any parting words for anyone who's still listening? <laughs> Well, that, um, you know, this price action is not being driven by Bitcoin's fundamentals. Uh, Bitcoin software continues to improve. The network continues to grow. Um, you know, there's uh, no uh, fundamental reason f that, you know, Bitcoin is impaired as an asset in any way. Um, it really is driven by liquidity. Um, we could talk about the macro as well, which is uh, the mortgage rates went from below three percent yep to now above six percent yeah and um i think that that is tightening liquidity uh across all markets um and so uh i think that we're going to continue to see uh tremendous volatility and uh turmoil yep well i guess we will all find out but the other thing i wanted to say is that we are still very very early days um bitcoin network has not been around for even 15 years yet it hasn't been traded for more than 12 right something like mm -hmm. that 12 or 13 um so i i mean i just it the this is not the end right this is the beginning still um and if you view it from that standpoint if you are learning about bitcoin if you are practicing right by sending money around and seeing how it works and using the lightning network and reading about what the protocol has to offer and reading about the freedom to receive the freedom to hold and the freedom to send the more you read about it the more you're willing to hold right and if you are doing that through this time horizon i guarantee you that in 10 15 20 years from now you will be grateful that you did it yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think if, if you look at the survey data, I mean, it's basically the case that 95% of people have heard about Bitcoin. Um, but in terms of what percentage of people's balance sheet it is, on average, it's, you know, much less than 1%. Um, and that, uh, you know, it's still it, the, the adoption of it uh, is still extreme, extremely early. Um, but, uh, there's given that the fundamentals haven't changed, I don't see any reason why the adoption rate would materially change, uh, going forward. Um, and it's also just not the first time that we've seen, uh, an air pocket for Bitcoin like this. I'd point to as recently as March, 2020, uh, when with the, uh, COVID, uh, you know, hysteria, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, crashed down to $3,000, um, again, driven by a lot of um, 
leveraged people getting uh, forcefully liquidated. Uh, and so, uh, you know, maybe I'll just end with uh, don't use leverage. Yeah. Leverage bad. Yeah. Leverage bad. <laughs> Orange coin good. Orange coin good. Hold yeah. on your own keys. Use your node. Yep. Yep. All the good things. All right. Well, if you like the show, uh, leave us a review. If you don't like it, stop listening. And we'll talk to you all soon. Well, I think that <laughs> the people who don't like it. They stopped listening a long time get, ago. <laughs> perhaps. But I think they need to listen the most. Yeah, there you go. If you don't like it, keep <laughs> yeah, listening yeah. even harder, even if it makes yeah. you angry. Yeah. Listen to it again, because obviously you misunderstood something. Um, okay. Thanks, folks. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.